Welcome to PwC's Tax Reform Readiness podcast series. This podcast is an excerpt from PwC's Tax Reform Readiness webcast series, held on August 1, 2018, providing a deeper dive on the mechanics of the new BEAT provisions and selected issues. The panelists for the webcast were Alex Falashko, a PwC tax principal focusing on international tax issues, specifically value chain transformation, Catherine O'Brien, a PwC tax principal focusing on transfer pricing issues, Christy Turgeon, a PwC tax principal focusing on accounting method issues, and Oren Penn, a PwC tax principal focusing on international tax issues. This excerpt from our Tax Reform Readiness webcast consists of a general discussion about the impact of the services cost method exception under Reg Section 1.482-9 and net operating losses in determining a company's beat liability, as well as policy and regulatory questions. Have a listen. Catherine, um, the other um, area that's of huge concern to a lot of our clients is uh, services cost method. What's, what's the latest in that area? Well, I think this is a huge concern because there's something that, that our clients can do about this, right? There's some self-help, um, but it's also been highly publicized. It's, there's a lot of debate, and, and it, it's very polarized debate. And so, so the issue here is what is captured by the SCM exception? And, it, and the SCM, the services cost method, was never intended for, uh, to, to apply to foreign um, uh, service providers. It was, it's an exception to the U.S. arm's length standard for U.S. service providers. So now we've kind of turned that around and the IRS is saying, or U.S. is saying, if I've got a foreign service provider and those services could potentially fit within the um, Dash 9 regs, 42-9, services cost exception, and um, kind of here's where we don't know, and you pay for those services, if you pay just cost, then it is exempt from beat treatment. But if you pay a markup, it's uncertain whether the entire amount is subject to beat or just the markup is subject to beat. And so the very kind of specific carve-outs for uh, services that are subject to uh, or eligible for the SCM are typically your HQ admin type services. It's, it's legal, it's accounting, accounts payable, accounts receivable, HR, that sort of thing. There is a whitelist under um, RevProc 20, uh, 2007-13. Um, there's also a possibility of what we call low-margin services uh, meeting the exception, and that is if they have a median um, markup of 7% or less. Again, very low-value services. If they are either high-value services or they're specifically excluded, which would be manufacturing, it would be distribution, sales types of services, R&D types of services, then those are not eligible for the SCM um, exception. And so that calls into question um, sort of how effective would the use of a cost-sharing arrangement be? Um, to the extent it's R&D services, it, it does not meet, with, meet the exception requirements. But if there are other administrative services that are included in that, then you, you, you could exempt those to the extent you are paying just cost. Um, so there's, uh, you know, I, I guess we don't know. I, I understand that the, um, the regs, when they're issued in, around Halloween, as latest as I understand it, um, will address this issue, whether or not 
if you pay, the markup is the entire amount subject to the beat calculation, the numerator, or is it just the markup? Um, but it's really a cliff, right? And a lot of companies are really, really alarmed at the magnitude of impact, right? Well, because I think that dealing with this issue becomes really important when it makes a difference between you being um, sort of above the 3% or, yeah. or not. The, um, it, if you're already subject to B, then it's just a matter of mitigating sort of the quantum of the of the minimum tax. So, so we'll keep monitoring this one. Keep monitoring yeah. it. Um, Warren, um, would you highlight for us some of the interesting questions with the interplay between NOLs and BEAT that keep coming up yep. like it, all the time? It's another interactive effect. Yep. Um, lots of questions have been coming up. We've got taxpayers that are looking to carry over significant NOLs into a beat calculation year. And so, number of basic questions. The statute uh, is a little ambiguous in terms of asking, when you're adding back the base erosion percentage of the NOL, what year do you look at for the base erosion percentage? Do you look at the current year in which the NOL was carried into and you're using it? Or do you look to the base erosion percentage in the year that the NOL arose. Um, and that could give you, it could cut both ways because your base erosion percentage in one of those two years could be favorable or unfavorable yep. depending on what you look at. So it's really just a call over what's the right policy, mm -hmm. what's perhaps you know, most administrable, I guess, would be to look at the current year. But who knows, maybe the better answer is not necessarily that. I think it's an open issue that we know is going to get addressed. Um, I don't think there's a clear answer yet. There's viewpoints people have around it, but, but it's one gating question. Um, there's another really important issue with NOL carryovers in terms of uh, when you carry over into a beat calculation year, what's the starting point? Um, do you start from zero? Uh, meaning that the NOL doesn't take ta regular taxable income below zero. Start at zero, and then if you're doing add, if you're the add back approach, you just add back from zero, or um, can you look at some NOL authorities pre-tax reform that that actually appear to say you can take NOL deductions negative, mm -hmm. and then could you take the same approach and say these NOL carry forwards can take you negative for the beat starting point, which would be very tax favorable. So if you had a large NOL carry forward, you had a hundred dollars of income. But a $1,000 NOL carry forward, instead of starting from zero, you could start from minus 900 and you're adding back from minus 900. You may never get to a beat tax. And some companies that they can have you. I mean, that's sort of, exactly. there's some rationale for that. So yeah. this, this issue's been flagged to the government. Yep. We haven't heard a, an answer. Yep. Uh, would anticipate it gets addressed as part of that. Um, there's been a similar question around pre enactment NOLs. Um, uh, depending, even if you, Pick one year versus the other for the NOL. Which one you which one you look to? There's an effective date point that since the NOLs really happen pre-effective date, and the statute is supposed to be effective for base erosion payments on or after, um, could you argue that it's really out of the beat? Um, and we're not clear um, if they're going to do that or not. There was a similar 163J carry forward issue that that came out in the notice. Um, um, that said that if you carry pre-effective date payments into a post-beat year, we're going to treat it as a beatable payment in a later year. Some of us disagree with that and have come back and said, could you rethink that approach because we think the effective date is a real issue? 
So if they come back and reverse, we'll see. On that point, maybe they could be consistent for these pre-enacted yeah, NOLs. A lot of people think there is some analogy to be drawn from that notice yeah. as to what the answer might, exactly. might be coming from yeah. D as well. Yeah. Um, very interesting points. Alex, can I say, so yeah. even, even though companies are not taking steps to mitigate it, I, it, it might be prudent to sort of plan into the ability to execute at the end of the year on some of these, right? So that it's not a mad dash in December to try to you know, do something from an SCM perspective. Well, let's talk about I think that's a great segue into our uh, the last slide on here, policy and regulatory questions. Catherine, I think, I think keep going, but I think that's exactly the, the question. Um, we've seen a lot of wait and see in the first half of the year, right? We've seen a bunch of work done to try to understand, you know, are we under the thresholds? This whole question whether what are the base eroding payments, it's really complicated for a lot of companies. It requires a lot of systems and digging to really unbundle and figure out what the payments actually are. So there's been a lot of that kind of work. A lot of companies really been in the wait and see mode. Um, what, what's your view on that question? Do you think we're going to start seeing companies executing on those plans? Well, I, I think maybe investigating mm. possible solutions. Certainly, I mean, that would be my recommendation. If, if you think, if we think <clears throat> that a cost-sharing arrangement might mitigate some of the beat exposure, then have that all ready to go. Um, and, and if it would be favorable, then pull the trigger at the end of the yep. year. Um, knowing that a cost-sharing arrangement tends to put you sort of at a higher risk of audit from an IRS perspective. So doing the cost-benefit analysis and figuring it all, it all out. I, I know of a, a number of companies that um, are looking to defer payment. And Christy, we spoke about this, right? So if I, I, I might be providing the services today, yep. but I'm not going to pay my foreign affiliate until December, depending on how this all um, sort of unfolds. And... As we were talking about that. Unfortunately, <laughs> likely doesn't work. If you are an accrual method taxpayer, um, the, the general rule is as services are provided to you, um, you have to uh, you accrue it. So it's a paid or accrued concept, and you would be accruing it, and so it would be a deemed a, a potentially a B payment. The only exception to that is if you can fit in the 267 a-3 rule, where you get put on a cash method for payments to foreign-related parties, which generally happens with like interest or maybe royalties. And then if you're under the little a-3 rule, you are put on a cash basis, and then paid is the relevant term, so not accrued. So if there is limited except you know ability to do that, but it's possible. Not to put you on the spot, but is there the ability to also, if, if I'm providing the services today, waiting to see whether um, payment of the cost or the cost and the markup is subject, to, if just the markup or the cost and the markup is subject to beat, then I provide the service today, but I don't pay until I find that out, and then I pay whatever is appropriate. Which may be just the I cost. I think you would have to accrue. So the, the rule is paid or accrued, and that's based on your method of accounting. So if you're an accrual taxpayer, you have to look to accrued. And when the services are provided, generally it's going to be accrued. So it doesn't matter that you didn't pay it. Right, but, but, it, but in the end, it could make a difference on whether I pay just cost or cost plus. Perhaps. In terms, that maybe there's some way we okay. can okay. talk about that. Do you have a charge card? <laughs> um, I was going to ask after. <laughs> I think, um, well, um, you guys tell me if you disagree, but it seems like, well, hopefully these regs will come out and give us some much-needed clarity. I think we're all dying for clarity. There's a number of really fundamental questions that need to be answered around SCMs, around applications, some of these accounting method doctrines. Um, a huge question about this really broad 
you know, regulatory authority and the anti-abuse authority, like, as to what does that mean and what things might be deemed abusive versus not, right, by the government. Um, I think, you know, as far as, you know, what's the course of action, Catherine, I think you're right. Like, by now, at a minimum, I would want to know, am I an applicable taxpayer? What are the base eroding payments? Just the basic diligence around just the fact pattern that I'm dealing with. And by now, I think I'm starting to define my game plan, assuming I'm in the suit, right? Because like we're finding over and over again, and Orrin, you walked us through the mechanics, you know, if you're subject to this provision, chances are the costs are really high. Like we're having companies whose entire, you know, economics of their business model is on its head because, you know, this wipes out like a lot of the margin. So, so I think hopefully by now the plan is beginning to emerge and that plan is, you know, due diligence, run the computations, including interaction with other provisions. Um, and then start evaluating options to just organize your operating model differently. I mean, I think even with the broad NIBUS authority, we've seen a lot of companies that have their peers sort of in the same business with the same economics, but just transacting differently, not being subject to the provisions. And there's a the whole question, you know, we're going to see more companies now starting to execute in the, in the latter half of the year. Um, and, and not to under sort of underscore or, or underestimate the impact of like the guilty and the other provisions, right? You can't just look at beat all by itself. Sure. Which, Which is a great point about how we re resource those uh, right. work streams within the tax function. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like more information about this topic, please email the participants. Their email addresses can be found in the description of this episode. Thank you. Thank you.